Good morning to everyone. Pastor Fabio asked me to introduce myself briefly. Um, so I'm, I'm, my name is João, as our brother making the announcement said. Um, I'm from Portugal. I'm a countryman of, of Fabio in the flesh, but I'm a countryman of all the children of God uh, in the spirit. And uh, I, I am married to Anna. For two years now, we had a, a COVID wedding. Um, no children yet, but we're hoping that God um, will guide us in everything. And I will be more than happy to chat with um, uh, any of you um, come the end of the service. But right now, I would like to turn to the Word of God and to his message to us uh, today and in this morning. And let me start with a question for you. My question is, what does Christianity have in common with other religions? We so often think of the differences. We, we so often think of what, what makes us distinctive. But let me ask you, what, what is there in common with other religions? What do you have in common with people who right now are at Mass, with people who were yesterday at synagogues, at Seventh-day Adventist temples? What do you have in common with them? If someone woke up at a British hospital this weekend with complete amnesia and wandered in the streets of London and saw all these influxes of people going through this, uh, place, these places with um, good, nice architecture, um, people are dressed up, what would he say? This is someone with complete amnesia. He would come, perhaps say, okay, I see these fluxes of people. They go to these places, they sing some things, they recite some other things. They all look the same to me. And this is the thing of people and world religions. It always looks the same. There seems to be no difference. What's the difference, they ask. And the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Galatians, is dealing with, the, with these differences and similarities. He will deal with the differences and similarities between true Christianity, the true gospel, and what, what distincts or, or what makes a true gospel distinctive amongst all the worldly religions. So up to here, up to, when, up to the point in which our reading started, the Apostle Paul has clarified in his letter to the Galatians that God wasn't mistaken when he gave promises to Abraham and then he gave the law. God doesn't have no plan B. He gave the promises and then he gave the law and that is in complete harmony. The law of Moses is good, but it was never the purpose of the law to make anyone worthy 
of the presence of God. That is not what the law did. That was never its intent. But humans, we are prone to look at the law of God and feel good about ourselves. The problem with the law, it was never, never the problem with the law that people looked at it and thought, I cannot keep this. The problem with the law was the opposite problem. People looked at the law of God and said, I can actually keep this. This looks doable. This has provisions even if I, I go wrong. All these, all these rituals, these things, I can do this. And we, we think that we can do it. And we start comparing ourselves with other people. Well, I can keep the law better than my neighbor. I can keep the law better than that brother. I'm actually better than him. Instead, what we should be doing is not looking at the letter of the law and comparing ourselves to others, but we should understand God's holy character in the law of God and understand how distant we are from the character of God. That is what the law should be doing. That's, that is how we should approach the law. But precisely because of our eagerness and the eagerness of, of, of humans to, to prove ourselves, to show that we are good enough, we tend to not like faith so much. Faith is just too easy. Faith is the same for everybody. I don't have anything that sets me apart. It's too easy. And that was the Galatian problem. That was what's happening in Galatia. In Galatia. And Paul now, and this is what we read, will take a step further in this argument. And it's, it's a letter with a lot of emotion. Paul, Paul is a spiritual father to the Galatians. He is, he's troubled that his spiritual children are going in the wrong path. And Paul is going to say, and he's going to shock them. He's going to say, stop with your paganism. And if you don't know what paganism is, pretty much pagans were the ones, or they were called pagans, the ones who worshipped uh, the gods of the Greek, the gods of the Romans, all those uh, figures that ruled the skies, that ruled um, the seas, that ruled the forests, the God, a God for everything, those were the pagans. And Paul is comparing what was happening in Galatia to paganism. And, and someone could say, and if you know the concept, context of the letter to the Galatia, someone could say, Paul, where is the paganism here? Where do you see? We, we are worshipping the living God. We are not going back to those other gods. Why, why are you treating us like this? Why are you writing these things? You yourself said the, that the law is good. We are just trying to keep the law. What's it to you? What difference does it make? How is that paganism? And it's because of this ignorance that is so often our ignorance. That was shown by the Galatians, by the false teachers in, the Gal in Galatia, that the true gospel, true gospel is so crucial. And we're going to look at Paul's argument here in two points. It's time, stop the paganism. Two points. It's time, stop with the paganism. 
So, first point, it's time. As I said, Paul's plea here is not a light one. He's not doing this light-hearted. He's not indifferent to what's happening in Galatia. This is something that moves him. This, these are his children, spiritual children, you will say. In, 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 the, in verse... Um, in, in the chapter 40, uh, chapter 4, he will, he will say that he's um, going through birth, birth pains again. Because these are his children. He's not indifferent to, to them. He's, a spiritual, he's their spiritual father. And as a father, the worst thing, um, or better, as a as a children, the worst thing you can hear from your father, at least for me, that, that was the worst thing I, I could hear from my parents, is, aren't you too old for that? As I was doing something, they would come and say, aren't you too old for that? That is, that is, that rips you apart. That, that basically means, this is the expectation of you, and this is the reality. You're not here and it, and, and it humbles you and, and tr- throws you to the ground. And what, God is, what Paul is saying, well, what God is saying through Paul, is that maybe that behavior, the behavior of the Galatians, was acceptable at one point. As it says in verse 1, chapter 4, verse 1, Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all. So what he's saying is that children and slaves in the beginning of their lives they are the same. And he's giving a relatable human example. Uh, something that I can understand from experience. And I'm not going to go too much about the difference between uh, our understanding of, of slavery in the 21st century and what they understood by save, slavery. Basically, what we understand today as slavery, they would call man-stealing. This, this, uh, what Paul is saying here, is a, uh, a type of, of, of serfdom that um, would come when people had a debt to pay and, would, uh, and wouldn't be able to pay and they would sell their work for a period of time to someone to pay their debt. But what, what Paul is saying here is what children and slaves have, have in common, and that's why I, I asked you in the beginning to think about what we have in common with people with other, in other religions. Paul is saying that children and slaves, what they have in common is that they have limited freedom. If, if our friend with amnesia walked in, in such a scenario and looked at what was happening, he would look at the father and then a child and a slave. And the father would say to the child, go here, and the child goes. And the father would say to the child, don't go there, and the child doesn't. And the father would say to the slave, go here, and the slave would go. And the father would say to the slave, don't go there, and the slave wouldn't go. And, and our friend with amnesia would, would think, these are the same. Child and slave are the same. They just do what the father says. They look alike. But there's a point when the distinction between child and slave will become obvious. No longer a 
a child will be mistaken for a slave at one point. And that point is when the child comes of age. That's what Paul is saying here. He's under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the father. Until the time appointed by the father, he looks like a slave. But when the child comes of age, it's, it's, it's evident, it's obvious that one is the heir and the other is still a slave. And the argument of Paul is past foolishness was maybe, Paul is giving them a little bit of empathy here. Past foolishness may be understandable. I, I, I understand that you, 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 look at, you looked at the law of God and you, you saw the law of God just as a, a bunch of do's and don'ts and you didn't understand God's grace. Okay, sure. But now, you no longer have that excuse. Because the fullness of time has come. God sent His Son. It is time. It's the most decisive moment in history. No, no, nothing will ever be the same when God sends His Son. The fullness of time has come. It is time. Children and slaves are no longer alike. Jesus came to rescue those who actually understood God's law. They didn't understand God's law as, as, as just a couple of do's and don'ts to compare themselves with other people and feel good about themselves. Those who understood God's law were the ones who understood God's character, God's holy character in the law and just said, I can't keep with this holy character. I can't keep with this holy God. I cannot be in His presence. And when we understand that, we understand the necessity of a Savior. When we understand our despair, we understand the necessity of a Savior. And to our joy, to our gladness, there's God coming in our aid. And this is why I love, this is why I love Isaiah chapter 40. Because for 39 chapters, you get the people of God looking for redemption, looking for help everywhere else. They look to themselves, they look to other nations. Always when they are in trouble, they ask for help to everyone else. But then comes despair because no one can help them. But then in chapter 40, you get comfort my people. They are in despair. But God is coming. Prepare the way. Level the mountains. Bring up the valleys. Prepare the way because God is coming. Here is your God. When we understand God's law, we understand God's holy character, we understand how far we are from that. That we need a Savior, but then God sends a Savior. Then God's, God comes in our aid. God sent His Son. And because of that, we are no longer slaves, but sons. Because God sent His Son, we are no longer slaves, but sons. Sons of God. And we sing these things. 
We say these things. We pray. We say that we are children of God. And sometimes it can just flow out of our mouths. And, and, and it doesn't sink into our hearts that we are children of God. It doesn't make any sense. Children of the creator of the universe. Sons and daughters of the Most High. What is this? That we are children of God. And because you are son, verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. No, there is no doubt at all that we are sons because we have received the seal of sonship, which is the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? Paul says to the Ephesians, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the deposit of our inheritance. Paul says to the Romans, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And because we are children of God, because God sent his Son, we are children of God. And because of that, we can cry out just like Jesus in the Gethsemane. In his moments of most profound agony, he calls, Abba, I'm in agony. That's what we are seeing in, 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 in the Gethsemane. It's the profound agony of Jesus as he looks forward to, to the cross, to the abandoning of the Father. And he cries, Abba, I'm in agony, I'm in pain. And we, because God sent his Son, we are sons. By adoption. And we can cry out exactly like that. We can cry out. Abba. I'm in agony. Help me. This is a never before seen relation. That we have with God. We are sons of God. Sons and daughters of God. And my question is. Are you enjoying your privileges of sonship. You have all these privileges of being a son and a daughter. Are you enjoying the privileges of being a son or a daughter of God? Let me give you an example. When I, when I, when I met my now wife, um, we were at a Bible camp. We were... Counselors? No, no, supervisors at the Bible camp. Um, we met and she, she was leaving to Latvia for a year. So I just thought, well, okay, she's leaving. This, this has gone nowhere. Um, but we actually ended up uh, talking over Facebook. We, we sent letters. And I remember that when, as she was in Latvia, and I was sending, sending her letters and talking to her over Facebook. I remember wanting to start every conversation that I had with people in Portugal with, hey, there's this girl. She's great. I'm going to marry, marry her. I remember that very, very distinctively. I, 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 was, I was quite um, 
private about that. But I remember that instinct of wanting to say that. There's this girl. And my question to you is, if, if what you sing about God is true, what you say about God is true, how come we don't start every conversation we have with people outside with, hey, there's this God. He's my father. And when I'm in agony, I cry out to him and he helps me. He guides me through life. He has redeemed me of my sins. He is holy. But I can, get, I, I can be in his presence because I have redemption. There's this God. How come we don't talk like that? When, when, that, when then Anna, Anna is my wife's name, when she came back, we then, I was still studying, um, so we didn't uh, get married for a couple of years. Um, but we would, every time, uh, or every day, until we got married, we would talk on the phone every night. Every night at 11 p.m., I would, I would talk on the phone with Anna before I got, I got to bed about one hour. And I was anxious for that moment, each day. I wanted to get to, to, to my house after school. I was, I was at university at the time. And I wanted to get to that, that point at 11 p.m. in which I talked to Anna. And again I asked. I, I said I loved her. And I was eager to talk to her. How come? We say we love God and we are not eager to talk to Him. We are not eager to cry out, Father. We are not eager to, to look at God's Word and hear what He has to say. I was eager because it was true that I loved my wife. Is it true that you love God? If you're not enjoying the privileges of son, I warn you, as Paul has warned the Galatians here, if before one could mistake a son for a slave, that's what Paul's saying here, if before sons and slaves were alike, now the fullness of time has come, God has sent his son, sons and slaves are not, no longer alike. So if you're behaving like a slave, perhaps you are a slave and not a son. Because now the fullness of time has come. Slaves and sons are no longer alike. Those who behave like sons are sons. And those who behave like slaves, they are slaves. If you're behaving like a slave, you might just be a slave. But if you're a son, stop behaving like a slave. And this gets me to point number two. Stop with your paganism. If you're, a slave, if you're a son, stop with your paganism. Verses 8 to 11, they are pivotal in the, in the letter to the Galatians. That's so important. Look at verse 8. But then indeed, when you did not know God, you served those which by nature are not gods. 
Paul is exposing paganism here. That's what you did before. You served those who were not gods. False gods. Gods of every, each and every um, element. And Paul's adversaries could say, Paul, nobody's doing that here. We've told you. We're not worshipping Zeus or Jupiter or whatever other gods. We are returning to Jewish law, to circumcision, to purification rituals. We are not going back to paganism. How is that paganism, Paul? And Paul says in verse 3, verse 9, it's going back to the elements of the world, going back to the elementary principles of the world, going back to the building blocks of human religion. That's how humans have done religion for centuries. Building up to God. All religions do that. That's what all false religions have in common. They all have a way, have their ways to build up to God. All, they all have their ways to appease the gods. Because that, that is the mindset of human religion. And we can do that. We can fabricate paganism with the living God. And that's a risk. Very high risk. When we fabricate paganism with the living God. Take the example of the people of God in the Old Testament. God takes them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and God will put them in the promised land. And in, this, in the promised land, there were a lot of other nations, other peoples, who had this relation with gods. Remember, and, and we can have, again, a bit of empathy here. It's a Mediterranean climate, a bit like Portugal, south of Portugal. Very dry. If there's no rain... There's no food. And if there's no food, you die. So, when God puts them in the promised land, the people who lived there, they had this relation with God. Because rain was so important, they would sacrifice, they would make sacrifices to gods of thunderstorms, gods of, uh, that, that uh, ruled over rain, so that rain would come. Because rain was so important. They did all those things, uh, sacrifices, rituals, so that the gods would send rain. It, it would bind the gods to send rain. But when God takes the people and puts them in, into the promised land, God says, I don't work like that. You cannot trade with me like that. I took you out of slavery. You had nothing to give me. And I put you here in the promised land. I will give you rain. You don't have to bring me anything. I did, I did it all for you. And I will give you rain. You just have to be thankful. But what did they do? They started looking at the law of God. And thinking, if I do this, and if I do that, I will bind God to send me rain. I will bind God to bring blessing to my life. And God doesn't work like that. He never has. That's why we call it grace. We don't trade for it. God gives it. And it's possible. Because these false teachers that were in Galatia, and we, who Paul is correcting here, they talked of Jesus. 
They said the word Jesus. But if you think for a second that, that you can trade your behavior or even your devotion to God, to Jesus, for favor of God, you are wrong and you are lost. Even if you talk of Jesus, you'll be fabricating paganism with the living God. It's possible to say with your mouth that you are a son, but actually be a slave. It's possible with your mouth to say that you're a Christian, but actually be a pagan. Look at what Paul says in verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Verse 11, I am afraid for you, lest I have labored for you in vain. Wasn't that what you did before? That's what Paul is saying to the Galatians. Observing days and months and seasons and years, going there to, in the appointed times, doing the, those rituals. Wasn't that what you did with all those false gods? It's the same. Can't you see it? It's the same. It's the building blocks of human religion, trying to build up to God, trying to bind the gods to do anything for them. And sometimes, I would say it's even fair that people criticize Christianity like this. Because sometimes we bear bad witness. We act like that. We act like that's what Christianity is about. Doing certain things. Behaving in a certain way. And it's not. And, and, and uh, one could, and you could say, oh, well, but that doesn't happen here. We don't, we don't have those, that relation with months and observing months and seasons and years. That happened in, in the Jewish uh, religion. That's what Paul is saying. But aren't we like that? Aren't we at risk of being like that as well? Look at what Paul says to the Colossians. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, or to the elements of the world, to the building blocks of human religion, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom and promoting self-religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So often, we think that all the things that we don't do as Christians, perhaps we would like to do, but we refrain to do as Christians, are our sacrifice to God. I would love to be at that, that party. I would love to be perhaps somewhere else in the Sunday morning. But this is my sacrifice to God to be in church. And now I bind God to bring blessing to my life because I've sacrificed so much to be here. I've sacrificed so much in my life, in my behavior to look like a Christian. Now God, bring me blessing. God doesn't work like that. You can't trade with God like that.
that is of no value, that may look, may look at what Paul's saying here, may have the appearance of wisdom, of asceticism, of self-religion. It may, it may do good to your ego, but has no value, no value at all in the eyes of God. And again, I can, I, we sometimes act like this. We are slaves. We are sons behaving like slaves. When, when I decided to go to London Seminary, I, I sat with my wife and we reviewed our monthly budget because I was quitting my job. And there was this item that she said, that I said, well, we have to cut this item. And she said, well, are you sure? Well, you like that. And I said, well, I do like it. But it was one thing to spend my money on it. It is a whole different thing to spend other people's money on it. Those who will be giving us donations. And she said to me, but where did that money come from before? Was it not from God? You, you realize what I was doing here. I thought that what I had, the benefits I, I could enjoy in my life, they came from my intelligence, they came from my capability, they came from me doing my work with, with excellence. I thought that. And that slave thinking. Sons don't think like that. They know it comes from God. I was a son acting like a slave. So look at your life. If you are a son, act like a son. Don't act like a slave. Don't behave like a slave. Don't think like a slave. I fear. And I fear for me. And I, I, it's hard to preach to, to a congregation that I don't know. So, so I'm... I'm telling you my own examples because I'm preaching to myself. I fear that we become like those to whom the prophet Malachi spoke against. Look what he says and, 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 and pay attention to this. He says, Oh, that there one among you who would shut the doors of the temple. I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. And I will not accept an offering from your hands. And God is speaking here through the prophet Malachi to people who, who were doing all the right things. They were doing what they had been doing for, for years, for, for hundreds of years. They still had their sacrifices in the temple. They were still doing all the offerings right. Like From the outside, it looked all the same. But their, their heart was not right. And when the heart is not right, God is saying, I will not accept that. I am sick of that. Shut the doors of the temple. It's harsh language. When the heart is not right, God is saying, shut the doors. Why do we want to be pagans and build our own religion with our own building blocks the way we want why do we want to be slaves instead of sons? Why do we have that tendency? 
such stupidity. And now we come to the turning point of this passage. It's beautiful turning point of this passage. Verse 9. Look at what, what Paul says here. But now, after you have known God, or rather, unknown by God, this is the difference in Christianity. I'll read it again. But now, after you have known God, or rather, Paul stops, unknown by God. This is the difference of Christianity. It makes that, it's the biggest difference. Because it's, it sets it apart from all those false religions. Is that the burden is not on you. The burden is not on humanity. The burden is on God. God is doing it. God will enact his salvation. Don't think you can build up to God because God sent his son. He came down. You cannot build up. This is the difference in Christianity. And it's the difference between true religion and false religion. Is that God sent his son. You cannot go get him. He came. And he came for us. And again I ask you. And I'm just finishing. Are we living as if that actually makes a difference? Are we living, in fact, as sons? Are we happy that we're just saying again, and I'm preaching to myself here, so if this makes sense in any of your lives, so you're, you're, you're in the same boat as I am. Are we happy that we're just saying the same prayers, same miserable prayers? God, oh, you are my keeper. You sustain me. But in fact, that's not what we, really, what we really think. When push comes to shove, we trust in our sweat, we trust in our capabilities, we trust in our intelligence. That's what I was thinking. And that, that is not God providing at all. Or that, or that, that is not trusting in God, God's provision at all. It's me just faking and thinking that I can provide for myself. Son thinking like a slave. Son behaving like a slave. If there's a time, and this is a, a little hint for you, if there's a point in which you say, well, it's my money, I do what I want with it. You're already a son, a, a slave. Sorry, a son thinking like a slave. Is it or is it not God that provides for you? Are you or are you not sons and daughters of God? Because if you are, he will bring the rain. It's his to give. He will bring the blessing. It's his to give. You cannot build up to it. You cannot get there. And sometimes we, we can deceive ourselves with this. We can pray, God, I don't deserve anything. But we actually think we do. We are entitled to something. We have sacrificed so much. 
We have behaved as we should behave in church for 20, 30 years. But if you think that grants you favor with God, you are a son thinking like a slave. Or even worse, because now they cannot be mistaken. Because if you, so if you are behaving like a slave, perhaps you are a slave and not a son. So when your back's against the wall, when you're, you're between a rock and a hard place, we say in, in Portugal, when you're between the wall and the sword, who do you trust? Are you a son? Or are you a slave? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you knowing that we cannot give you anything. What should we give you? You are Lord over everything. You rule the world. Everything belongs to you. How, f- How foolish are we when we think we can build up and satisfy you with what we do, with what we sacrifice in our lives. Be patient with us, Lord. Be patient with our stupidity. Be patient with our foolishness. Be patient with our slavish thinking. And we ask you, because we need, we need you even for that, we ask that you remember us, that we are sons. And that we may enjoy the privileges of being sons and daughters of the living God. Sons and daughters of the the most high, the almighty God. The creator of the universe. You are the creator of the universe and you are our father. Teach us how to enjoy those privileges of being sons and daughters. Teach us to delight in hearing your voice through your word. Teach us to come to you when we are in agony. Teach us to behave like sons. Receive the praises of your people this morning. The praises of our hearts. Not only would we sing with our mouths, but may that be a reflection of what, what we are singing in our hearts. And be glad with your children. Receive our thanksgiving because we know that we cannot give you anything. We are so glad that we cannot give you anything, that we can do nothing to earn our salvation. Because nothing is exactly what we would do if we could do anything. We need you desperately. Each moment, each day. Each song, each prayer. We need you to guide us. 
to comfort us. Please do it. We ask you. We depend on you for everything. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.